At the Commonwealth Policy Foundation, we try to approach the issues of life, marriage, religious liberty, and fiscal integrity from a biblical perspective that promotes thoughtfulness and kindness. We work with political leaders and concerned citizens from all across the state. To stay informed, visit CommonwealthMatters.org and sign up for our e-newsletter. The Commonwealth Policy Foundation is a nonprofit organization that only exists because of friends like you. Thanks for tuning in to the Commonwealth Matters. Welcome to the Commonwealth Matter. So what is the role of Christians in the public square? Is there a theology that speaks to our involvement and responsibility as Christian citizens? To talk further about this and the specific topic of Christian nationalism is Andrew Walker. He's the Associate Professor of Christian Ethics and Public Theology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville. And additionally, he's the Fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center and serves as the Managing Editor of World Opinions. He's the author of the forthcoming book, Faithful Reason, Natural Law, Ethics for God's Glory and Our Good. Thanks for joining us on the Commonwealth Matters program. Yeah, Richard, it's always good to be with you. So this topic of Christian nationalism has um, come to the surface just in the last few years, really going back to the Trump administration, where many Christians were either labeled Christian nationalists or some embraced the label Christian nationalists. And I want to start with this. You wrote a column in World Magazine titled, What Does Christian Nationalism Even Mean? a challenge to all sides of the debate. So let's start with what does this mean? What does Christian nationalism mean in the worst sense of the word? Yeah, no. So obviously um, when we want to debate something, it the, defining the terminology is the absolute most important um, facet of the debate because depending on who's using the term, um, you know, you know, if, if, if you're mm-hmm. one at Harvard you're going to just slap the label Christian nationalists on me and you because uh, that is kind of a, a catch-all epithet to just describe conservative Christians. Um, so that's kind of how a progressive use of, of Christian nationalism might get used. But as someone who studies kind of this topic from an academic perspective and from a theological perspective, And of course, I'm coming at this from um, a Baptist perspective. I would not embrace the label of Christian nationalism for myself because of what Christian nationalism means by its strongest proponents. And I think um, in in fairness to its strongest proponents, so individuals like Stephen Wolf or someone perhaps like uh, Douglas Wilson, um, it means uh, in some degree uh, of, of formal establishment between a church and the state or between a religion and a government and the the nation sees itself conscientiously brought up in a kind of redemptive storyline and that the goal of the nation is to align itself with the redemptive or soteriological components of the Christian gospel now there's a lot of heavy terminology that's said right there And I want to say, on the one hand, we ought to align ourselves with God's moral order. Absolutely. Uh, The question is, is it the role of the state to see itself as cooperating with God's divine saving mission 
that has been handed, I think, exclusively to the church to carry out, Mm -hmm. not the state. And so I want to be very clear as we're thinking about Christian nationalism. um, You know, someone like myself and someone like you, we would share almost identical policy objectives with individuals who might label themselves as Christian nationalists. So preservation of the family and defense of religious liberty, the sanctity of of unborn life, um, all of those objectives would be would be shared. It's a question of of the apparatus or the means or the agency that's being used to bring those things about and what you see as the function of government. Fundamentally, I do not see government as an agent of redemptive grace. I see the government as an agent of common grace. And those are very distinct categories uh, in Christian theology, that the government is there as a preservative agent to provide a platform for the common good and for society to perpetuate and continue itself. But the government is just not competent uh, to administer a redemptive covenant. That when we look at scripture, you don't see that that kings and magistrates, they 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 ought to be Christians, yes, of course. Uh, but kings and magistrates are not meant to be mediating divine grace, even though they are responsible, yes, and amen, to common grace, and they are responsible to divine grace as well, because their consciences will be held accountable to judgment at some point. That's good. Uh, there's a lot there in what you just said, Andrew. So as Christians, we we look to Romans 13 for our basis, really an understanding of government. Government is God's idea. Let every soul be subject to the higher power. For there's no power except that which God has established. We read further that the purpose of government is to uh, reward those who do good and to punish those who do evil. So God instituted government for our good. And it's interesting that that letter that Paul wrote to the wrote to the Roman church, they were under a tyrannical regime. In fact, they had a history, the, the early church had a history of living under unjust rulers. Yet here, here Paul is saying, look, God ordains government. Here's the purpose of government. He didn't he did not uh adopt government, by the way, and say that this is something that uh, they always do right. But at the bottom of it, at the, at the core, government is ordained by God. And as citizens, we are to acknowledge that, uh, acknowledge that there's a God, a God that we're ultimately accountable to, but then um, a, a citizenship that we have even in, even in difficult places. Uh, my pastor, Herschel York, and we're fellow Baptists, so you had brought in the Baptist faith, and I agree with you, Andrew, that we do not expect the government to be an agent of sharing the gospel. We do not expect the government to be an arm of the church to perform Christian duties. That is, we have this idea in our country where we have two realms. We have the realm of the church. We have the realm of the state. And yet that idea is being lost with this new uh, resurgence of Christian nationalism. So here's where I want to go with, with this. What is the proper relationship today of the Christian who wants to see justice in our society, wants to see moral boundaries reinstituted, wants to see the sanctity of life restored uh, and protection in law for the unborn? What is the proper relationship for the Christian today with our government 
Yeah, no, I mean that 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 that's the sixty-four thousand dollar question, and um, I, I feel like there is a a chorus of what we would call so-called Christian nationalists who kind of just like shout from the mountaintops, um, you know, government is ours. Um, we're going to take it back. We're going to implement God's righteous agenda to to, to save the nation. Well, um, again, I I share in those goals as far as wanting our nation to follow God's law. The issue is is how is that brought about? Um, you can't just declare yourself a Christian nation and voila, you're a Christian nation. Um, what this means is you have to engage in actual political action. Um, so all the time I get asked the question, you know, gosh, America seems seems doomed. You know, we've redefined marriage. Uh, abortion is running rampant. How do we fix this? And, and Christians ask me these questions with like this beleaguered state of frustration and exhaustion. And I totally get it. And my response to all of that is, well, um, that that's a political question. Uh, that it, It's a theological question at one level about, you know, knowing the right issues, knowing the right answers to the issues and, and, um, and thinking about them properly. But at the end of the day, um, it's, 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 you know, getting, getting your hands in the arena and engaging in the tactile operations of political mobilization. And, and Richard, um, I'm, I'm not just saying this to blow smoke at you. I literally mention you and CPC in my classes and, and even, Alex could testify to this because I actually mention you because I say here's here's one guy who starts an organization who has helped mobilize, uh, helped draft candidates, helped train candidates, uh, help them win their elections in order to implement or to to, to attain uh, power lawfully, in order to rule justly. And that's exactly what we ought to be doing as Christians. I mean, if you're asking me, what do we want to do? Um, it, we would be far more well served to have 50 Richard Nelsons than we would to have more copies about the, uh, the title with, with the title Christian nationalism in it. Because you do need academic heavy thought and theology. And, you know, I do that at the seminary. We had a conference in April on on Baptist political theology. And, and that's my role in this is to write, to think, to, to make the arguments. But we also then need people who are uh, skilled at statecraft and skilled at political mobilization, which I don't I don't really desire to do those types of things. I'm not really an activist. I'm, I'm an intellectual. That's why we need people like yourself who can mobilize, who can equip, and then to help channel all of that frustration into positive momentum uh, to affect positive change at the at, at the at the most local level, you know. So a lot of times we want to vent our frustrations at the highest possible levels of government and Joe Biden this and Joe Biden that. And hear me, I'm frustrated at Joe Biden, but go local. Principle of subsidiarity here: you have the ability to affect the change uh, proportionate to where you are most locally invested. And so, you know, that means run for school board. Uh, it means run for state and local office. Uh, you're going to be able to affect things much more easily in Frankfurt and in Louisville um, by getting involved than just um, automatically setting your sights on Washington, D.C. Yeah, Andrew, well said. So what you said about I want to just hone in or focus on this part about putting our energies in the right place. We specialize in 
being angry at what Washington, D.C. is doing or the latest bad policy from the Biden administration, but we neglect as to what's going on at the local level. Most people couldn't tell you who their school board representative is. They couldn't tell you who's on city council or serving in county government. And that those are the areas that we can have the greatest impact. So we overlook that. As Christians who care about our culture and the direction of our communities, we can get involved at the local level. And my uh, encouragement to those listening and watching is to take your energies. If you believe that God is calling you to, to engage the public policy and political realms in some way, Look at local opportunities. Look to see if there's an opening on your school board. Here in Frankfurt, I live in a district where last year uh, we couldn't find a school board member to run in my district. <laughs> and eventually somebody filed, but it wasn't, un it wasn't challenged. There was one person on the ballot for that seat. And I think of uh, many of the issues today are being hashed out at the school board level. So uh, those who are listening... Please uh, take your energy uh, and maybe your angst that you uh, have towards the federal government and refocus it and refocus it in a positive way. Andrew, another point, I want to move us in this direction. Um, and, you, you know, the $64,000 question is to figure out, as you said, what is the proper relationship between Christians and our civil government? Uh, I'd like us to look at this. Um, consider the amazing freedoms and liberties that we have in this nation. First Amendment freedoms of speech, of association, uh, to to simply protest in a in a civil manner. Um, freedom of the press. We have these amazing freedoms. Uh, the church is given freedom to worship without fear of oppression from the government. And that's a that's a freedom that we take for granted. But look at these freedoms that we have that were afforded in our Constitution, and these freedoms have been upheld at the court level. But look at these freedoms and the amazing latitude that we have to work in as Christians, uh, as Christians who care about uh, the common good, as Christians who care about promoting justice uh, in our society. And uh, if, if we understand what we have and understand this latitude— Andrew, don't you think that this should compel us, apart from this discussion, and, it's, and this is a relevant discussion, but don't you think that this should compel us to, as responsible Christian citizens trying to honor God, shouldn't it compel us to engage well wherever we might be? No, certainly. And, you know, th this, this brings up an important discussion about, like, terminology around rights. Like, we have freedoms. Those freedoms are there to protect rights. And I'll often hear, and in fact, I heard a, a very well-known pastor uh, on Twitter just last week said Christians are at their best when they're fighting for the rights of others before they're fighting for the rights for themselves. Yeah. And I can understand and appreciate the spirit about looking for the interest of others. I want to interpret this in the best possible light. But I, I, res I responded uh, charitably and kindly uh, to this individual. And I said, well, you know, respectfully, that is a misunderstanding of what rights are. Rights are, by definition, reciprocal in nature. So when I'm advocating for the religious liberty rights of uh, the Jewish individual to be able um, to attend their synagogue, I am at the same time arguing um, for the legitimacy and plausibility of my religious liberty rights as well. Because in the system of government that we have, we are all supposedly equal under the law. 
And equality, you know, inherent in the concept of equality is the notion of of reciprocity. Uh, and so, you know, I, I, I would anchor this biblically. Um, you go to a passage in Jeremiah 29. I know you know this, Richard. Seek the welfare of the city, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Notice what just happens in that passage. You're to seek out the positive good for the sake of every single person's flourishing, which we might call the common good. I love that you use that phrase. But then the logic of Jeremiah is, if you seek out the good of others, you are effectively leavening an environment that is going to provide fertile grounds for your flourishing as well. And and, and I should just note this. If you go to Jeremiah 29, that, that's written in a state of exile, right? Israel is, is, is not in Israel at this point. What are they called to do? They're called to get married, plant gardens, build homes. They're basically called to testify to creation order and to manifest creation order properly in a state of exile. Then you go to the New Testament, and we're called aliens and, and exiles, um, because of the fact that we are living in a fallen eschatological age. And so I think the calling for us as Christians is to simultaneously go to church, um, be in fellowship with, with like-minded believers, love the Lord Jesus Christ with all of our heart, souls, and strength, uh, and then also to channel that love outwardly uh, into our love of neighbor uh, and recognize that one of the ways we love our neighbor is to tell our neighbor, neighbor the truth uh, about how they are made to flourish within God's general creation order. And as, as we promote the truth for everyone else, um, we are that that should reflect back on us in order for us to experience and live out the truth as well. Good. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Commonwealth Matters. I'm Richard Nelson here with Andrew Walker. We're going to take a break and we'll be back in just a moment. Is America a Christian nation? To what extent did followers of Jesus influence the founding of the United States? And what role does Christianity have in the public square today? Hi, this is Richard Nelson with the Commonwealth Policy Center. If these are questions that you're looking for answers for, then join us on Thursday, September the 15th at Kenwood Baptist Church in Louisville. That's where we're holding a conference on Christian nationalism. Join John Wilsey, Andrew Walker, and Colin Smothers as we talk about our history, biblical principles, ethics, and how Christians should engage the culture today. You don't want to miss this important event. So join us on September the 15th at Kenwood Baptist Church in Louisville. For more information and to register, go to our website, commonwealthpolicycenter.org. That's commonwealthpolicycenter.org. And we look forward to seeing you there. Welcome back to the Commonwealth Matters. Richard Nelson here with Andrew Walker, and we are talking about Christian nationalism. And Andrew and I will be at Kenwood Baptist Church in Louisville on September the 15th, where we are holding a conference. It's open to the public, and we're going to talk through some of the challenges of Christian nationalism, some of the misunderstandings, and also talk about the proper relationship between Christians and their government. And Andrew, um, you and I live, in, in all of us, we live in a challenging age as Christians. We, we um, have seen just in the last uh, less than 10 years, marriage has been redefined. 
we have seen the normalization of um, transgenderism. Gender ideology has reached our youngest people where minor children are told that they can determine their own uh, sex, uh, and it's being taught in the schools. We live in, a, in an age, as Carl Truman says, of expressive individualism. And so this this makes it challenging, and perhaps, and uh, uh, Andrew, here's my question. Is it because of these major social changes that's causing a reflex or a reaction where some are embracing Christian nationalism? I, I think that that's no doubt a contributing factor. I think what, at the largest possible layer of analysis that I would give to this, is um, the the Christian veneer that kind of broadly uh, encapsulated America for the last you know 240 plus years. That veneer is is um, is, is coming off, and we're seeing really a stark contrast between a a militant, cold secularism that basically has no objective morality to it. It says that human nature doesn't exist and that you can tamper with your body. Um, you can deny that 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 your, your body has any objective moral content in itself, or you can buy into a Christian anthropology that says no, or a, a Christian morality that says there is an objective morality. That objective morality orders uh, our understanding of anthropology and that there is a, a design, a purpose, a goal to how we've been made. And I think that we're just seeing, we're seeing the veneers and the contrast play themselves out. And, you know, I think that, um, you know, the trans issue in particular, it's such a revolt against creation order um, that, that it's the one issue that I notice that non-Christians even seem to have the most resistance towards. Because non-Christians, though they're they're minds and their wills and their intellects have been wounded and corrupted by sin. It has not been extinguished by sin, and they can see with their eyes the obvious offensiveness of allowing, for example, a biological male to compete against a biological female. And if you believe in equality and fairness, uh, those, those terms don't exist in a transgender worldview. And so I think I think, you know, you know, Lewis and the abolition of man, um, I, he, he talks about basically when you when you deny moral goodness and moral objectivity, he says all that results is to say that morality is a product of the will. And it's, it's what he says, uh, I want that I want becomes the moral ethos. And so you said expressive individualism. That that mimics what Lewis is getting at in the abolition of man, and you have to you have to juxtapose that with with the alternative vision for what Lewis is getting at in understanding that morality uh, has to be ordered by a divine lawgiver for morality to have substance. And so, to the extent that America continues to go off this this moral cliff, and people stare down the abyss, they're confronted with like you know the stakes of 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 what's what's before us and so i do think and and rightfully so this should jar people awake and this is why richard um i disagree with like the strongest 
permutations of Christian nationalism, someone like Chris, uh, like Stephen Wolf. But you're never going to hear me insult or criticize their concerns about the state of American culture. The criticisms that come from Christian nationalism, I think, are right on. It's that the the antidote or the resolution that they provide, I think, goes too far, and it's a little bit of an overrealized eschatology that that's not going to be fully delivered in this age. Um, we're not going to bring about perfected government, the perfected society, um, but we've got to engage. And, and Andrew, again, you're going to speak on this topic at Kenwood Baptist Church, uh, September the 15th, uh, CPC and the Kenwood Institute are hosting a conference on Christian nationalism. For more information, go to Commonwealth Policy Center's website, that's commonwealthpolicycenter.org, commonwealthpolicycenter.org, and you can learn more and sign up to register for that event as well. Andrew, last fall, you created a tweet storm when you said this in response to Christian nationalism. You did review, by the way, Stephen Wolf's book on the case for Christian nationalism. I'm reading through it myself, and I'm, I'm finding it um, interesting, and yet um, it, it's... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I've yet to be persuaded as to his biblical case because he doesn't make a biblical case for it. But you created a tweet storm when you said this, England, Denmark, Iceland, Finland, and Sweden all have Protestant state churches, presumably promoting true religion. But to what end and with what success? These nations are socialistic, de-churched, secular, and progressive. Sounds like Christian nationalism is working superbly. (laughs) Of course, you're being uh, facetious there. But uh, is the lesson here that we should just stay off of Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a lesson we should always we should always uh, follow. Uh, no, the, the point of that tweet was to simply acknowledge that um, in that the, the the argument coming from Christian nationalists right now is well, we've finally got the formula figured out. So if you let us have the power, we're we're going to use it justly. Well, this is where you have to have some Christian anthropology that says power corrupts. And power uh, and, and uh, power corrupts absolutely. I might have just butchered that quote, so I apologize if so. Um, oh, that's right. But, but whenever you have a political theology that assumes I'm the one that can be in power, and everyone else should just listen to me, uh, that is that is rife for the potential for abuse on the one hand and tyranny. Uh, but then also we have to go back to the history books and to say, okay, when Christians have had the have had the power. And they baptized the state, and the state serves as an apparatus or functionary uh, of the church. How has that gone for the actual nation state? It has never gone well anywhere. And I mean that literally anywhere. The best argument against Christian nationalism have been the historical instantiations of Christian nationalism. And that's because it has it has uh, merged Christian identity with national identity. Now, please hear me. Christian identity and national identity are not necessarily at odds. I am proudly a Christian. I am proudly an American. I'm proudly a Christian American. But you have to keep those boundaries clearly delineated and demarcated so that you don't allow Christian to just become some label that you slap onto something that actually doesn't have anything Christian about it. This is where you need to preserve preserve those boundary lines so that Christian nationalism doesn't just dissolve into Christian nominalism. Andrew, that's fantastic. One more plug here. We will be in Louisville on September the 15th at Kenwood Baptist Church. For more information, go to commonwealthpolicycenter.org. 